May it be soon in our days that we experience the final redemption. Let the resurrection begin and may we soon see the final redemption. Amen. So I want to welcome you to Kitisa GC. May it be so that this parsha is like ridiculously beautiful because Parsha Kitisa is probably one of the most epic Torah portions that are in the Torah. Like they're all epic, but I mean, here's where we find what kept us out of the garden again and what was the final opportunity for redemption and we never got to experience it because Adam was supposed to redeem us, but we ate from the tree. Israel was supposed to redeem us after receiving the Torah, but we made the golden calf. Mashiach was supposed to redeem us, and he did. And now we're just awaiting his return, just like we awaited the return of Moshe off the mountain. But why? We made the golden calf, which is why I love when we say in the Kedusha blessing of the Amidah, when we are in a minion, because that's when you say the Kedusha, we said that we will wait. We will await you, Hashem. We literally say that. From your place, you shall appear and we await you. Like, we say that. And it's kind of like, so the tikkun, the repair, for what we failed in last time, we didn't wait for the Redeemer to return. We were all gung-ho about, yeah, 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 let's get this word of God. Let's bring the redemption to the world and all this. It's like, all right, well, wait right here. I'll be right back. And it was like, okay, we're waiting. We're waiting. 40 days later. Okay. Hence, Mashiach stayed with us for 40 days. You know, he's like, guys, when I leave, I will come back. But I want to take, I want to stay with you for 40 days because 40 days last time, Y'all were just like, no, we're making a golden calf. So like, we're not doing that again. Okay, guys, don't make a golden calf. I asked you to stay awake with me in the garden. You fell asleep. Not going to bring that up right now, but you did. And so let's go ahead and get off to a really good start with this. Well, little did we know another golden calf will come up and it's called the church. Because people who follow the Mashiach, and who kept the Torah and all that, we weren't ever fully integrated within the synagogues. Neither was Yeshua and his Talmudim, by the way. They always tried to kick them out of every town they went to. And Yeshua himself says, they're going to kick you out of synagogues and all that. But just because you get kicked out of a synagogue doesn't mean you go start a new faith system. However, under the immense pressure that that had to be as far as the social dynamics of everything, because you have to think about if you're a person who comes into following the Mashiach as your Torah observant, a lot of things change because there's all sorts of stigmas that are related to that. It's like, oh, you're going to be like one of those 12, huh? 
That's what you're going to go with? You're going to be a follower of the way now? Is that what you're going to do? I mean, Shaul got persecuted at the temple because of it. He brought Titus into the temple and the people went ballistic. Shaul was like, guys, I'm a Hebrew like you guys are. I keep the Torah. I follow the forefathers. Like, what's the problem? And they're like, we don't like you. That's it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, by the way, don't you teach to get away from the Torah and whatnot? But anyway, this is all just saying, like, we have to hold it together. We have to stay faithful, have to stay focused. Don't build a golden calf. And Moshe was on the mountain in the presence of Hashem. But we can we can be where we are, wherever we are in this world and be focused on the presence of Hashem. And that's what we're called to. Because, again, Matthew 28, right before Yeshua ascends and he's going to come back the same way he left which means he's going to come out of the clouds. I mean, he said, it. I mean, the messengers that came up, they're like, why are you guys staring into the sky? The same way he left you is the same way he's going to return. So go do what he said. Anyway, so disobedience is really saying, all right, let's drop the mission. Don't be a lapide. Don't follow the Torah. Go live how you want to live and make people feel like they need to live a different way just by believing in something. Because that's the message that's been taught now. The golden calf that exists now is that believe in JC and follow grace. That's all you need to do. Grace means anything that's not in the Bible. But you can read the Bible. It's good if you do. But I mean, spend more time focused on sports. Spend more time focused on how you're going to eat. Spend more time celebrating holidays that are nowhere in the Bible. Spend more time freaking out when people convert to Judaism, keeping faith in the true Messiah, Yeshua. Like if people come to you and say they believe in Yeshua and they're celebrating Passover and the Sabbath, like they are just going to hell in a handbasket. And it's like, so is this really what the faithfulness of Mashiach's people are supposed to be? Because Mashiach's followers up until the third century celebrated Pesach and Yom Tov's. So today, if you say, hey, let's celebrate the Pesach, let's celebrate the Yom Tov. They're like, uh, what is that? And it's like, wait a minute, what? You're a follower of the Messiah and you don't know what Passover is. Remember the whole time he got crucified and stuff? He had that whole meal with his disciples. Oh, you mean the Last Supper? Sure, yeah, I got some bread. It's like, whoa. Pesach is all about no bread. <laughs> it's unleavened bread, matter of fact, which is bread, but not bread as you think, you know. Anyway, why is this all alien information? Why do people regard the word of God as something foreign and alien to them? Because we allowed a golden calf to be built and... The whole thing is connected to, a, of course, a Melech, which is the whole progenitor of be a detached branch of the vine and try to bear fruit. Yeshua says, you cannot bear fruit apart from me. So a Melech is like, yes, we can and we will. We'll do it by sorcery. Which the golden calf came about because of... Janus and Jambres, who were the sons of Balaam, who Balaam and Amalek are actually Echad. 
This was brought down by Shonuff Pincus uh, just this past uh, tour portion. Uh, he actually did a whole commentary on Purim. Let me see here. Purim. All right. And we got Amalek. Where are we at? The connection between. Okay, so Amalek is also connected to Babel. That's ridiculous. All right. Let's see. Belam. Stand by. It's in here. All right, here it is. This is page five. Balaam and Balak were associated with the Klippa of Amalek. The Klippa mean the stronghold. It says, if you take the Ain and the Mem from Balaam and the Kuf and the Lamed from Balak, what remains is Babel. Okay, so Babel, Babylon says, in addition to being associated with the Klippa of Amalek, their names also allude to their association with the Klippa of Babel, who rebelled against Hashem in the generation of the dispersion. All right. So all of that, right? And so here's the the, the summer, summarization of it all. Esther and Daniel chose, or Sliga, Esther chose Hatak, which is Daniel, to be her messenger to Mordecai, for Esther knew via Ruach HaKodesh that Haman, a descendant of Amalek, had issued a fatal decree against Israel because they had bowed down to the idol in the times of Nebuchadnezzar, who is paralleled to the golden calf because the golden calf was made with a golden plate that had the name of Hashem on it from a young child named Mika who was one of the children Moshe saved out of the bricks of Egypt when the children of Israel had to make bricks with the straw and all that kind of stuff going on. And then Janice and Jambres were using sorcery and with the gold that Aharon commanded the children of Israel to throw into the fire and out popped the calf. And the calf was doing the whole I am the Lord your God thing, just like the statue of Nebuchadnezzar built says, I'm the Lord, your God. So all of that is going on. And we have this whole picture here that sorcery perpetuates the falseness of our faith that is being um, portrayed around in the world today. And again, Amalek is also the grandson of Asav. So Amalek is literally the father of Christianity. So if we're supposed to remember to wipe out the name of Amalek and don't forget what he did to us, like, okay, put all those dots together and you, you have Parshakitisa. Because what did Moshe do when he came off the mountain? He shattered the tablets, which was just like Mashiach's body being broken for us. And again, the tablets weighed so much that a piece of one of the broken tablets would literally equal the weight of the body of a man. If you do all the calculations of what 40 say ah weighs, because that was the weight of the tablet. So if you 
shattered these two tablets that weighed that amount, picking up one piece of them would be like picking up a, a body of a man. So among many other things, I mean, they could have been in bigger pieces than that, but you know. So you go from there uh, and then you have the fact that um, Moshe comes down off the mountain. He says, what is this? He takes the calf, grinds it up, and then he makes uh, the people drink it, which is likened to the woman suspected of adultery uh, ceremony that happens later in Numbers. We'll read about that in the Torah portion of uh, Naso. So, yeah, Naso is like another epic power pack tour portion. But anyway, so all of that happens. And then the people who were for Hashem, he said, you get on this side. If you're not with Hashem, then I guess stay where you are. And some Levites will be there to visit you shortly. <laughs> so literally the Levites and those who chose to worship Hashem all went through the camp and slaughtered everyone who had the swollen belly because your your little abdomen midsection here would just swell up from drinking this potion and it would be a telltale sign that you were an idolater you worshiped the golden calf you didn't want to listen to god you wanted to find a different thing to do besides the jewish stuff and according to moshe and according to what went down, those people had to die. So, and it was at the hands of Levites and other Israelites. So if you just really think about that for a second, Israelites and Levites had to go do this. So by default, those people this that were killed were not Israelites or Levites, i.e. they decided to remain to be non-Jews they decided to be non-covenant members that led to their death. So, Selah. So that's the grand introduction for Parsha Kitisa, GC. Now we're going to hop into the Besora, the gospel passage that corresponds to this, which comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Says this, Yeshua was telling them, Amen, I tell you, there are some standing here who will never taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. How about that? After six days, Yeshua takes with him Kepha and Yaakov and Yochanan and brings them up a high mountain by themselves. So, Yeshua, Kepha, Yaakov, and Yochanan. Four people going up to a high mountain. Where have we seen this before? We've seen this in Genesis chapter 22, where it was Abraham, Yitzhak, Ishmael, and uh, Eliezer. The four of them were going up to a high mountain, down as Moriah at that point. But the only people who saw it were Abraham and Yitzhak. And so... Abraham said, you know, since you can't see where we're going, you should probably stay here because uh, it won't be any of help if we're trying to climb a mountain and you won't be able to climb a mountain you can't see. So anyway, there's a whole lots more implications to that, but we'll keep it moving. So Yeshua is like, I'm going to take the people who can see the mountain and the people who can go up the mountain with me. It says, and he was transfigured before them. 
Did you know Moshe had the shiny face when he came down off the mountain uh, with the tablets? So that face that shone so bright was on the tail end of the people worshiping the golden calf. They couldn't stand Moshe's face at that point because they had fallen to a low because they worshiped the golden calf. Moshe went up the mountain the second time and was like, all right, getting the tablets. All right, cool. Uh, well, first, the second time was all about the forgive them for they know not what they do. Blot my name out kind of stuff. Yeah. And then that's where, you know, Hashem's like, I forgive them. Go down, go get stone tablets, come back and we'll do this again. All of that. So at that point, he came down the mountain. There's a whole teshuva time going on, repentance and everything. People took off their jewelry, which took away their shine, their crowns. They became mortals again. They lost immortality and all that kind of stuff. That all happened. So Moshe, uh, after he comes down the mountain with the new tablets, that day he comes down, it's the day of Yom Kippur, which is the day that the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies. This is all connected to the transfiguration because in the Holy of Holies, there is a man who is the manifestation of God who accompanies the Kohen in to the Holy of Holies. Once he's in there, there's this appearance of a man in all white that is Hashem. And they say he accompanies him in the Holy of Holies. Now, he'll, he will accompany him out of the Holy of Holies if that Cohen was going to live for another year. But if that Cohen was going to die that year, then he would not. He'd just follow him in, but he wouldn't come out. So the Cohen was like, all right, well, this year I know I'm going to die. It's like, why? Because Hashem appeared to help me come in, but he did not appear to help me come out. So I'm probably going to die within this year. And he did. Because that's some whole Yom Kippur stuff from a par Parsha Kare Mot. So I gave you the cliff notes on that. So uh, yeah, Baruch Hashem. So anyway, the transfiguration is the manifestation of Hashem that appears with the high priest when he goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And then you can just go ahead and overlay that with the fact of Adam in the garden was clothed in these same garments of white transfiguration when he was first created. And it says that the angels were confused and they started worshiping Adam instead of Hashem. And Hashem had to put Adam to sleep just to let them know that's not me. I know he looks like me, but that's not me. So that's the Midrash Rabbah's account on that. So yeah, so connect all those dots, transfiguration, okay, Moshe coming down the day of Yom Kippur, second set of tablets, the the new covenant, the renewed covenant, basically. Uh, that's what this all is, all right? So back to our story here. It says, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant and brilliantly white, whiter than any launderer on earth could bleach them. So he took on heavenly garments, which by the way is what Memtet wears. He wears heavenly garments. He's clad in eight garments. See if I can pull this up for you real quick. This is a Parsha Tetzave drop. Let me go ahead and grab that. Go over here to Benny B. Hit up Tetzave. 
Uh, where is he at? Ted Zabe. Boom. Um, looking. There it is. This is from third footnote to third Enoch. And it says that Memtet is clad in eight garments made out of the splendor of the Shekinah. The eight garments here allude to the eight garments of the high priest. Uh, that is from Maseket Yoma 7.5. Tractate of Talmud. So yeah, Memtet wears these garments of light. Just like Adam was clothed in. Just like Yeshua is clothed in for the transfiguration. So it says, then Eliyahu appeared to them with Moshe and they were take and they were talking with Yeshua. So in this parasha, Moshe stands in the cleft of the rock. He asks to see Hashem's glory and all that. Shem covers him with his hand. Eliyahu, after the prophets of Baal, he goes, runs, hides in a cave near Mount Sinai. And Hashem calls him. He covers his face and comes out, sees this wind blowing, but Hashem wasn't in the wind and all that kind of stuff. And this still small voice appeared to him. So those two points in time brought these two individuals to this moment of the transfiguration. So we have this picture here, basically, of time travel and hyperspace going on, because in the present the past is uh, coinciding with it. When Moshe was at this point in the rock, when Eliyahu was in this place in the rock, and now Yeshua's on this mountain, and here they are. So they were talking with Yeshua. Kepha responds to Yeshua. Rabbi, because Yeshua was a Pharisee, and that's what you call a Pharisee, a rabbi, says, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three Sukkot. One for you, one for Moshe, one for Eliyahu. He did not know what to say for they were terrified. So I'm just going to throw it out there that if you're scared, how are you going to prophesy as you're scared? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so freaked out right now. Here's a prophecy. Sukkot. Well, this is really interesting that this is what he says when he's scared. Kepha being scared actually brought forth probably one of the deepest things you could ever think about with these tabernacles because Sukkot is the culmination of the marriage feast where we'll get to be with Hashem and time to come in the, in the Olam Haba and the, the, the final redemption and, you know, and all that kind of stuff is going on. So when you make these Sukkot, one for Yeshua, one for Eliyahu, one for Moshe. It's like three tents, which are like the three temples. You know, you have the first temple, the second temple, and then the third and final temple that we have yet to see, but we're praying for. And it's like the tabernacle is the, the predecessor of the temple. And it's interesting because the tabernacle has all these different layers to it. And Eliyahu and Moshe are layers of Mashiach. And so 
literally, it's not like you need to make three suko. You can just make one suka for them, you know, because both of them are called like the the redeemers, you know, and you have this aspect of Moshe representing the Torah and Eliyahu representing the spirits and Yeshua representing where those two things interlock and interconnect. So what a statement that Kepha would make here about it's Sukkot. And it's like, well, Sukkot, when that, well, I mean, when Sukkot happens, it's, it's the resurrection, you know, it's like the marriage feast time, the great wedding banquet that's going to take place for seven days, because that's how long you celebrate a wedding. But anyway, Sukkot's an eight day festival. So, but for seven days of it, we're in a sukkah. It's going on. It says, then a cloud came overshadowing them, which again, the sukkah is likened to a cloud of glory. And it says, and out of the cloud came a voice. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So the cloud surrounds Eliyahu, Mashiach, and Moshe. And Hashem is like, this is my son. Obviously, those of us who know that Yeshua is Hashem's son, like we'd be like, oh yeah, obviously he's talking about that. But why would he surround all of them and then say, this is my son? Just like we say, Yisrael is the son of Hashem. It's like, well, yeah, Israel, like Jacob, is the son of Hashem, but also Israel, like all of Israel. Because remember, Israel is a body of many members. Mashiach is Israel, a body of many members. So there's that. And some footnotes on here says uh, you can see uh, Telling 2.7, Isaiah 9.5, Devarian 18.15. Because that's where you, Moshe says, there's one like me who will come after me. So, yeah. All right. So, this has a connection to Shemot 40, verse 34. So, let's go ahead and drop kick on into that. Where is uh, Bollywood over here? Bahatur. I don't know why I called him Bollywood. It's not his name. I have the Bahatorium for Bami Bar because that is for Parsha Para, which is this upcoming Shabbat. So Shabbat Para, the Parsha of the Red Heifer, purification from death. But we'll talk about that momentarily. So 40 verse 34. What do we got? Here we go. Verse 34 says the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Hashem filled the tabernacle. So in that's in Parsha Pekude. And what is going on here? This is after Moshe set up the tabernacle. And Moshe, once he completed the work then it says that the glory of God did that. 
So when this cloud is surrounding them, this is likened to a tabernacle that is set up. So that's a, uh, wow, Rishim. All right, so going on, it says that suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Yeshua. So this whole time, they're thinking about the Son of God, listen to him, and it's like, who? Moshe, Eliyahu, Yeshua, and the answer is yes. So I'm thinking about this. Moshe, Eliyahu, Yeshua. Initial letters, Mem, Aleph, Yod. You have 51. Is the gematria there? So... I want to check out the gematria of 51. Let's see what we get. First letter of each of their names. Aleph, Mem, Yod, 51. 5 plus 1 is 6. So you got Vav, which is man, which is Torah. 51 is Edom, which is red. So Aleph Dalit Vav Mim. That is very, very interesting. Because Edom is a part of the understanding of Adam, Esau, and all of that connected uh, with man. So the Aleph Dalit Mim series is, is what's going on there. There's a whole connection to that in uh, Parsha believe it is Toldot. Let's go back to that. Benny B on tap here. Let's see. He has this beautiful chart. Yeah. Edom equaling Adam. Esau was called Edom, Aleph, Dalit, Vav, Mem, because of his sin and selling his birthright in order to eat. Okay, so which happened in uh, Bereshit 25.30. The Shoresh, which is the root, shouts out to the Chavinger Shoresh. It says the root of Edom is the same as Adam. This is the epitome of all sin, a momentary gratification that causes great damage to the sinner and those around him. It says, Adam, whose name shares the Shoresh with Edom, also forfeited his inheritance through eating this, uh, thus losing access to the tree of life. So when we look at all of this, we have Edom being rectified, sin being rectified, our momentary gratifications being rectified in the Torah, the spirit, and the voice of God. So if we follow these things, that which divorced us from God, now we get overturned and led to what brings us to God. Because forsaking the Torah, forsaking the voice, forsaking the spirit of God, led us away from him. But when we grab a hold of these things, they bring us back to him. And again, Mashiach is now covered in Asav as he sits at the gates of Rome. So there you go. 
Mashiach is covered in Edom. And Mashiach is known as the second Adam. Which is all connected to that. So. There's a little drop on that. Going on it says. As they were coming down from the mountain. Yeshua ordered them not to tell anyone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Yeshua ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man rose up from the dead. Now you talk about who's predicting their death now. Mashiach is like, listen, once I'm resurrected, we can talk about this. But until then, don't. So verse 10 says they kept this word to themselves, discussing. So they're drashing among themselves what it is to rise up from the dead. So this is this is cool because they saw the resurrection, but now they're like, so what do you mean rise up from the dead? Like, let's have a drosh on that. It's like they know that there's a resurrection because they're Pharisees, but yet if there's not a resurrection right now, then like, why do we just see people who are resurrected? Eliyahu and Moshe, we know they're sleeping, awaiting to be resurrected, but what we just saw that they were resurrected. So like, was that like a time shift or like that was a real thing? Like, did we just see a vision? Like what, what was going on? So anyway, just to kind of throw that all out there. Um, when you really just kind of think about the timeline of everything, because we're the ones who are in linear time. Well, really it's sick circular because, you know, we keep going through the year, which makes a circle. You know, we get we go through the same tour portions and holidays and then we come back, you know, so we're making these circles and we're literally supposed to ascend in our observance and in our awareness and in our relationship and our devotion and our maturity with Hashem. We're supposed to increase and upgrade and all that. But that's this realm. That's our time, space and uh, dimension that we have here, our, our 4D uh, existence that we live in. There are dimensions beyond this, which is why Shaul would tell us that, you know, the things that are unseen are more real than the things that are seen. And by the way, the unseen things are eternal. The things that we see are not eternal. So all of our physicality, all of our possessions and everything we see, this will not last forever. If all of us can reconcile with that, we would be doing really, really good because now we can kind of understand, go beyond this. And then furthermore, the hope is, is that you would influence your physicality from the understanding that it's not eternal. So while it's here, what is the best use for it? Most people know, oh, well, I'm going to die one day. I might as well have fun while I can. But it's like. Is that really how you want to do it? Because your body and the things that you're going to put yourself through and the spiritual ramifications of all that when it's said and done. Is that really the route you want to go? Or do you really want to sanctify your body for the time that Hashem has given it to us so that when it's raised, you know, like it'd be raised to glory and not eternal shame? 
because this life is meant for us to spend racking up, if you will, on merits and atonements and salvations and consolations and redemption. You know, we should be bringing light into the darkness. We should be helping rescue people who are trapped and who are far from God, who are disenfranchised, people who are lost, people who are orphans and widows. Like we're supposed to go help those people. That's why we're here. We're here to bring healing and repair into a broken and hurt world. Where there's sickness, bring healing. Where there's death, bring life. Where there's darkness, bring light. So what does it mean to rise up from the dead? I think is a a very beautiful uh, verse to end on. You know, when you really look at what just happened. It's like we saw the resurrection. Like, what do you mean? Don't don't tell anybody about this. It's like the resurrection already exists. So how can we not tell anybody about it? It's like, well, because it hasn't happened yet. Well, then why did we just see it? You know, it's just like, man, incredible things to just kind of piece together. All right. So what I want to do now is just kind of shift some real fast gears and go into uh, Shabbat Para because Shabbat Para is amazing. Shabbat of the Red Heifer. So it says Shabbat Para, the Shabbat of the Red Heifer, takes place on the Shabbat before Shabbat HaKodesh in preparation for Pesach. So we're about to go through Purim right now. And it's like, as soon as we are done with Purim, we shift gears quick. Start depleting hummets, start getting your Seder plates and everything ready. Start getting your matzah, start getting your kosher for Pesach food. Like start uh, koshering your dishes if you're going to do that or get Pesach dishes if you're going to do that. You know, start preparing your home for Pesach and make sure you get your white outfit if you're going to do that. Get a white kippah, a white suit coat. You know, you don't have to white, you don't have to wear all white, you know. Check out the uh, Pesach prep drosh from um, Sar Shalom Synagogue on live stream. You go back to this point in time last year. You'll be able to find that on there. Uh, I think it's on our YouTube channel as well. Let me give it a quick peek. If we go to YouTube and we search Sar Shalom Synagogue. Let's see what we get here. Sar Shalom Synagogue. Going into, let's first check out playlists. Let's see here. 5780, Torah Foundation, Torah Chesed, Conversion Classes, Parshas, History of Antisemitism. It's a mitzvah. Okay, so it's not right there. Hit the scroll button. Going all the way back to a year ago. Uh, September 2018. Whoa, that's way too far back. Torah Foundation. Chesed class. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it's uh, from March 27, 2019. Pesach preparation. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, share that with myself because that will be good to post up for everybody uh, after pouring. So Bezrat Hashem, 
we can all be ready to go, you know, after that. So thank you for standing by as I <laughs> take down these notes. <laughs> Lifetime. Okay, but yeah, you can get some really amazing uh, Pesach preparation on that. Look, see the the kittle, uh, man, you wear your kittle on that night uh, and what the Seder plate looks like and talk about matzah, talk about the Haggadah and all that kind of stuff. So that is going down directly after, you know, uh, pouring because after pouring, you got one month until it's go time. Bezrat Hashem will be able to have this is the final Pesach of the exile. So that would be really awesome because, you know, next year in Yerushalayim is kind of getting old if we're not getting to do it. But we don't care how old it gets. We'll keep saying it because one day we know it's going to be in the new Yerushalayim. Because why? Because we're not a Melech. We are children of Israel, children of faith, children of Abraham. Get you Psalms. So. Back to Shabbat Parah, though. So we're getting ready for Pesach. And it says, Bamibar 19, 1, to, 1 through 22, describes the Para Aduma, the red heifer, in the Jewish temple as a part of the manner in which the Kohanim and the Jewish people purified themselves so that they would be ready, quote-unquote, pure, to sacrifice the Korban Pesach. So that's kind of the other thing, too, that we have to remember that when we are brought back into the final temple, when everything's rebuilt, one of the things we have to have before we can even enter into the premises is we have to have the ashes of the red heifer sprinkled on us. The the solution of the red heifer, which is a, a mix of things. So we have to be sprinkled with that. And Mashiach's death is a prototype of the red heifer because the whole thing about swallowing up death and victory is connected to that. So I'm going to go to the Baal HaTurim, Parsha Hukat, talking about this Para Aduma. First of all, we need to know the Para Aduma, the red cow, is the gematria of 335, equivalent to that of Al-Avon Ha'egel, for the sin of the golden calf. It says, Tankuma 8, Midrash Tankuma 8, cited by Rashi in his comments, following verse 22 and Totafot of Moet Katan 28a and see also Bahatorium to Leviticus 9.2 says why must a female of the species be used a red cow because it says paradima not a male cow but a female cow and then not a par adam a red bull this can be compared to the child of a maidservant who soiled the king's palace. The king said, let its mother come and wipe away the excrement. Similarly, the Holy One, blessed is he, said, let the red cow come and atone for the incident of the golden calf. So we're looking at atonement for the golden calf, which again is connected to Amalek and connected to you know, the what led us into Purim uh, with Haman having his evil decrees and then Hashem delivering us from it. So coming out of all that, we're going to go into the Shabbat of atonement and purification and preparedness and ready. Because the other thing we're doing right now, too, is we're going to war. 
As you celebrate Purim, you need to know that you are warring against spiritual principalities and, and darkness and and rulers and things like that in the, in the higher worlds. Because through reading the Megillah, dressing up, you're giving to the poor, you're giving uh, ready baskets of uh, goods to your friends, and uh, you're remembering, you know, the miracles Hashem did for us. You know, that's all the way that Hashem has given us that we get to fight and we will get the victory. And so coming out of battle, we got to be purified from all of that, because when the warriors return from the battlefield, their hands were soiled with death. They killed people. So it's like you got to have the red heifer to clean you up. And while we're in exile right now, we're impure like dead corpses. So we have to be purified as a preparation for the Pesach. You have to eat the Pesach pure. You have to be able to offer sacrifices anew. You have to be pure. So we're going through this whole cycle of, of that. Um, oh, yeah. I want to read from the Midrash on this. Where are we at here? pulling out everything but Bamibar. Got to get a more streamlined suit. All right, Bamibar. Let's go to the Para Aruman. Let's get some Let's get some goods on this with our final time we have here. There's a whole lot. Oh my word. Ridiculous. Okay. Let's just start here. On the first of Nisan, 2,449, the Mishkan's last day, last inauguration day, Hashem revealed to Moshe the laws regarding impure people who are expelled from the camp and the purity laws of the Kohanim. Sefer Ma'ayin Ganim quotes, and Rabbi Yosef Yavet's name, that the Jews who sacrificed themselves for Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of Hashem's name, and the times of religious persecution were not those who based their observance of Torah upon philosophical research, but rather those who, rather those Jews who observed the Torah with firm emunah. See, this right here is the whole teaching that I was getting into with Shabbat Zakor and wiping out a Melech is that we have to be people firm in our Amuna and our observance. You know, like if you have no Amuna and you're being Torah observant again, this is why Paul wrote his letters. He was saying you have to have Amuna and Hashem. You have to love Hashem. You have to know Hashem. You have to be adamantly acquainted with what Mashiach did for us, what the Torah did for us. You know, before you can be like, okay, I, I'm I'm eating kosher. I'm I'm keeping the Shabbat. I circumcise myself. You know, like before you do any of that, you need to first of all work on loving God. You know, transforming your life. You know, like not being about yourself, but being about who He is. You know, experiencing salvation, redemption, freedom, that whole stuff. Then after you experience all that, then that's when you enter into the mitzvot, just like we did when we came out of Egypt. First, we had to trust Hashem, place our trust in Him. Hashem was like, all right, now that you've done that, here's what you got to do. 
So anyway, Firm Amuna says Hashem taught him how to pure, taught him how purification from the different types of impurities is achieved either by immersion in a mikvah or in a live spring and so on, as well as the sacrifices that consummate the purification procedure. When Moshe taught or when Hashem taught Moshe that a Jew becomes Tameh by touching a dead body, which is impure by touching a dead body, Moshe questioned, how does he purify himself of this Tumah, which is impurity? The Almighty did not answer his question, and Moshe's face darkened in grief and in shame. There can be no greater pain for a Talmud Chakam, Torah scholar, whose life goal is to perfect himself in Torah knowledge and performance than to be denied knowledge that he seeks. Footnote says, according to Al-Sheikh, Moshe was ashamed for Aharon's sake when Hashem did not reply. He thought that by participating in the golden calf, Aharon had brought back the angel of death to the Jewish people, and he would be eternally stigmatized unless Hashem prescribed a way of purifying himself from the tumor caused by death. In truth, Moshe or in truth, Hashem delayed his answer as a kindness to Aharon. The first time he addressed Moshe, Aharon was not present. Get you some. Hashem therefore waited until Aharon too was present. Then he addressed the parsha of Para Aduma, the, the red heifer, to both of them, Bamibar 19.1. This publicized the fact that he had forgiven Aharon for having participated in the sin of the golden calf. Aaron was made the Kohen Haggadol, y'all. And before he did that, he was one of the main people that caused the golden calf to be brought forth. But Hashem was like, you know what? But I forgave him because he was so like broken and contrite before me. He was like, I can't, I can't approach the altar to serve God. Like what? I made the golden calf. I'm responsible for it. The people were going to kill me. They killed Hor, which is my nephew. And it's just kind of like they were going to kill me next. I was the only one left in charge now. Moshe left me and Hur in charge. They killed him. They were going to kill me. So stalling tactic, keep the people from killing me and storming the mountain, i.e. to save all of Israel. We're just going to do this. And Hashem was like, I knew what he was doing. He didn't he didn't make the golden calf because he wanted something different. He wanted the golden calf. Be, well, first of all, he didn't know there was going to be a golden calf. He thought, I'm just throwing gold into fire. Like people need to offer up their stuff to Hashem anyway. The menorah was made by being thrown into fire. So why don't we just throw this gold in? But he was not counting on Janice and Jambres and Mika to be next to him while he did that and conjure up stuff. Again, Janice and Jambres connected to Balaam, who's connected to Amalek. He didn't know doubt was lurking around him. So anyway, Hashem was like, I forgive him. And because I forgive him, I give you the mitzvah of the red heifer. Say to the law. Okay, according to one view of our sages, Gatine 60a, 
The parasha of Para Aduma was communicated to Moshe on the first of Nisan. Why then did the Torah place it in Parsha Hukat? According to the Pasikta Zutrasa, since Korach ridiculed the purification process of the Leviim after ending the account of Korach's rebellion and consequences, the Torah explains the fundamental mitzvah that purification is achieved through the Para Aduma. So it says the Almighty did that, all right, so he didn't answer this question until Aaron came. Later that day, Hashem resumed the subject, explaining to Moshe and Aharon, if someone became defiled by contact with a corpse, he is to be sprinkled with a special mixture of water and ashes from a red heifer. So there's... The whole process is how you do it. The Para Aduma is purchased from the treasury of the Beit HaMikdash. So Temple Funds purchased this thing, purchased this calf or the cow. And it says, from a fund containing the yearly half shekel donations. So if you ain't pay your half shekel, you ain't got no redemption. And the words of Ish Chasid, if you mess with my shekels, that's like messing with my redemption. We were trying to rewrite the script to the Friday movie, and uh, that's what we decided to come up with. <laughs> Instead of playing with my money, it's like playing with my emotions. It's like messing with my shekels, like messing with my redemption. Literally, you you uh, mess up the opportunity to purchase a para aduma if you don't pay your half shekel, among many other things. But anyway, it says to the, to qualify as a para aduma, a cow must be at least three years old. Old enough to bear young. And then it says, so it has to be fruitful. Can't be sterile or fruitless like a melic. It says its color must be completely red. Back to Edom again, because Edom is red. Even two hairs of another color disqualify it. So now connect Moshe, Eliyahu, and Yeshua to the red heifer because the the first letter of each of their names total up to the gematria of 51, which is the gematria of Edom. Red. All right. So then it says the animal is also disqualified if it was hard, if it once harnessed a yoke, even if it did not perform labor. So it has to be like never used as in a yoke. Then it says the Kohen slaughters the cow outside the camp. During the years in the wilderness, it was slaughtered outside all three camps and in the time of the Beit HaMikdash on the Mount of Olives. Since this mountain is considered outside Yerushalayim. Come on, man. What? Okay, that's just ridiculous. He gathers some of the heifer's blood in his left hand dips his right finger, index finger into it and sprinkles it in the direction of the entrance of the Heichel, the temple court, the holy place, says he can see, which he can see from the mountain. A fire is lit. The Kohen supervises the cow's burning with a red woolen string. Yep, the scarlet thread. Here it is. He ties together a cedar stick and some hyssop and asks all present 
Is this a cedar stick? Yes, they reply. Is this a cedar stick? He asks a second time and a third time. Think about Yeshua asking Kepha, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because, you know, this is atonement stuff. Cleansing, purification, forgiveness. It says he receives affirmation or he receives affirmative replies to all three questions. He also asks three times, is this a red wool or is this red wool? Is this red wool? Is this red wool? And it is answered each time in the affirmative. Why this ceremony? Not all types of hyssop, cedar and red dye are kosher. Oh, come on, like the tequila. You can't just go down and get blue red dye from Walmart. Not all types of hyssop, cedar, and red dye are kosher for the para aduma. Unless all species used meet the halakhic requirements, the entire mitzvah is invalid. Going on, it says, um, I mean, the ashes are divided into three parts, placed in a certain section of the courtyard where it's preserved in order to fulfill the mitzvah that the ashes kept in all generation. And then you have the second part uh, among the Kohanim to be at hand for purifying the Kohen if he became impure. And the third one is on the Mount of Olives for the purification of Bnei Israel. Says, whoever was involved in the preparation becomes impure. And then the person who gets sprinkled on who's impure now becomes pure. It says, in a utensil, the heifer's ashes were mixed with fresh spring water. Wow. Blood and water. Red heifer. There you go. All right. The waters of the power Aduma were sprinkled by someone who is himself pure from Tuma, impurity. And onto the Jew who purifies himself, he sprinkles him on the third and seventh day of the individual's purification. Moreover, during the seventh day, the person being purified must immerse himself into a mikvah to consummate the purification. It's interesting, whether you've been mikvah or not, you still need to get mikvah into Yeshua because why? You got to consummate the purification. So even if you've been mikvah before, got to get mikvah again. And then it says a blessing rested on the portion of Moshe's ashes that were set aside for purification. They lasted until Ezra's time under Ezra's supervision. A second para aduma was burned a third and a fourth under Shimon Hazadik's guidance and two more in the time of Yochanan, Kohen Hagadol. From then until the destruction of the second temple, three further para adumot were burnt. The 10th one will be prepared by Mashiach. May he soon come. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu Torah temet. Vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai. Noten ha Torah.